Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the Word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn, but also embolden you to be doers of the word and not simply hearers, in order that you become a light in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and even in your local church body. Let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people. Once again, I just thank you for listening and may God bless you abundantly. If you are new here this morning, we have been going through the parables of Jesus. We just started last week, so if you're new, you're not missing much. We just hit it last week. We were in, remember what, remember what we talked about last week? We hit the first parable of Jesus, and this is the parable of the sower. This is one of his most famous parables. This is one that everybody knows that Jesus was out on the Sea of Galilee, and he's telling this story, and he's saying, look, a farmer throws some seed, and the seed falls on four different types of soil. The four different types of soil reflect four different types of heart. So he says, some fell on the hardened path, the hardened heart, that those are those of us in this room. Now, this is happening in every church. There's four different types of soil in every church. Now, I'm I want you to remember this though. Not all the soils, there's only one soil that Jesus is talking about that are actually saved. The other three soils are not, oh, they're just not as good of a Christian as me. Okay? They did not receive the word and they did not produce the fruit of the word. And they were not, they, so therefore they were not, they did not receive the spirit that transformed them, to change them, to mold them, to make them born again. They were not born again. They were the soil that heard the word, the, 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 the rocky path, the, the pathway, heard the word, I threw it out, it bounced off his head. He's like, what is that? And what does it say? Satan comes up and snatches the word and he says, it ain't going to marinate on you. It's not going to sit on you. It's not going to be, you're going to have this word just kind of bouncing around in your mind. Like, I don't really care about it. I don't want it. But I remember what he said 10 years down the road. No, it's going to be, you're going to walk out of this room. I don't care about it. I don't want to know about Jesus. I don't care about the grace. I don't, I don't want to know what he said. I know he told me that something about pride and arrogance, whatever. I don't care. I care about the Panthers. They're playing somebody today at a certain, you know, and then after the Panther game, I don't even remember what David said anymore. But then there's others, you know, there's others that say, you know, well, it's the, it is the, the, the rocks or the, or the weed, the rocky soil where it shoots up and it's that emotional adrenaline rush that Jesus, you remember I, I use my, my analogy of my, my little thing. I can make you guys cry and weep and get excited about Jesus by setting the mood and setting the tone and burning some incense and getting y'all all your senses stirred up. So therefore you make an emotional declaration to Jesus and he says you spring up real quick and then all of a sudden the person persecutions and the trials of this life on the count of the word come and you fall. Then he says there's some that fall on the thorny path. And this is those that you you get the you receive the word, but here's the thing, the world is so attractive. The world is, you love the world, and, and you have the word, you have Jesus. Jesus is awesome. He's amazing, but the world is good. The world's beautiful. I love Jesus, but I, I also love my boat. You know, I love Jesus, but I also love my, my relationship that is not pleasing. I love Jesus. And, you know, like I said to Peter, Jesus, I love Jesus, but I love my fish. That's not what Peter said. But that's what a lot of people will say. I love Jesus, but the world is so attractive. And so what we see in Matthew, if you, if you, we're going to continue in Matthew 13. We're going to continue with the parables because Jesus is about to shotgun, bam, 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 parable after parable after parable after parable. And he's going to be teaching on the kingdom. And so we're just in, in like fashion, we're just going to go with Jesus. Okay. I wasn't planning on doing this. I was just going to like bop, jump around to different parables. But I was like, well, Jesus is doing this. We might as well just sit with Jesus for a little bit. And we're going to go through Matthew 13 and just parable after parable, study each one that he goes through for the kingdom of God. Now, my goal this morning was to get through three parables. That's the goal. Now, I will say this. Every time I have gone over this, I have only made it through one. 
I don't think I'm going to make it through. I, I'm going to try. But in Matthew, what we see, because this is what Jesus is doing, and this is where he's establishing, and Matthew is setting up the gospel, and he's showing that there's this kingdom, that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the king. He's the Messiah. He's, he's the one coming. But the problem is, what Matthew shows us is that all the religious leaders of the time despise and have rejected the king right? They've rejected the king. So the king has come, but the, 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 the only establishment, the reason why the king was to come was to set free Israel, was to let the Jews go, is to get them out of the oppression of Rome, is to get them out of the oppression of the world. That's what everybody thought. And so when you got a king coming to rescue Israel, but Israel has rejected the king, how do you have a kingdom without a king? How do you have a kingdom when the king has been rejected? And so Jesus is now coming up in front of everybody. He says, look, I'm going to tell you how this is going to happen. There's a mystery, and the mystery is the church. There's a mystery of the kingdom of God, and the mystery is that between my first coming and my second coming, there's going to be this little ragamuffin group that's going to have received the spirit of God, and they're going to go out and proclaim the gospel and throw the seed and do all these different things, and they're going to do mighty things, more powerful things than I did on this earth. They're going to go out into the world, and they're going to proclaim the gospel, and one by one by one by one, people will receive the truth, and they will sit under the king, and the kingdom will be advanced, and the gates of hell will will not prevail. Amen. That's the kingdom. And so Jesus is explaining this. Now, the problem is, is that while the kingdom is growing, there's actually three enemies that are attacking this kingdom. What's the first enemy? Satan. Right? That's what we saw last week. Satan is going to come up and he's going to snatch the word. He's going to try to distract you. He's going to get you away from any opportunity. The Bible says he blinds the eyes of the unbeliever. He ain't going to let you get near the gospel. He doesn't want you to hear the truth because that's the only way that you're going to be out of his grip is if you receive the truth of the gospel and you are changed. The next one we see is the world. Right? The reason why the, the, the weeds didn't work, the reason why the weeds were so struggling was because the world, the Bible says there's three enemies in this, in this, in this uh, world. It's the world, it's the flesh, it's the devil. Those three things are coming after you hard. The reason why the world and the flesh are so hard for you is because you want them. The reason why the world is such is so attractive to you because your flesh wants it. And so the world is saying, hey, come here, look at me, look at me, look at all the pleasures. Look at look what I could give you, look what I could give you. And, and we are like, I like that, I want that more, mine, mine, mine. Like they, we desire it, and that's our enemy, that's an enemy. Because the Bible says a friendship with the world is an enemy of God. And so, so the world is coming after us with the, 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 the soil of the weeds, and then the flesh, the flesh desires this world, the flesh desires self-preservation. The flesh desires comfort. The flesh will deceive us. The Bible says your heart is wicked. Do not follow it. And yet our main thing that we teach all people, even in the church, follow your heart. And the Bible says don't because your heart is wicked. Your heart is wicked, and so your flesh is against you. It's against the kingdom. The flesh is of the flesh, and the spirit is of the spirit. Don't satisfy the desires of the flesh, but walk in the spirit, okay? So those are the three things. And so now what we're going to see this morning, we're going to jump into the first parable of the three that we're going to try to attempt. First parable, and what Jesus is going to show us is that as Satan was attacking through the, the birds and all that, he's going to be attacking again the kingdom of God, and he's going to be doing it in a different way. And this is, this is an interesting parable. Some of you all have heard of this parable. Let's read it. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 is where we're going to be spending our time this morning. Okay, so another parable he put forth to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in this field. But while the man slept, his enemy came and sowed tares amongst the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. But the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does this have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us to go and gather them up? The master said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. But let them both grow together until harvest. 
And at that time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them into bundles and burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Okay, so this is the parable of the wheat and tares. Now, Jesus later on in Matthew 13, he's going to tell us that he's, going to, he only, he's only going to speak in parables to, these, to the Pharisees, the religion. He's about to start speaking in parables after parables after parables. Now, the word parables, as we've been saying, the word parable literally means to speak or lay alongside of. So Jesus is giving spiritual truths, and he's laying alongside a parable that kind of brings it to life. Now, there's two reasons why Jesus speaks in parables. Do we remember those? One is to reveal, and the other is to conceal, right? So Jesus says, I speak in parables because for the believers, it's going to help you understand. It's going to, it's going to sear it into your mind of what I'm talking about. Like, like when I do dumb stuff up here, like eat you know, raw eggs and, and all that stuff, I do that not just for the effect. I do that to sear that into your mind. Some of y'all only remember that. <laughs> I don't remember what he was talking about, but he ate a raw egg. But I do that because I want to sear it into your mind. So Jesus says the believers will get it, and it's going to hold, and it's going to teach them spiritual depths. But there's going to be those who just want to be a part of the team, want to be a part of the movement, want to come and see me perform miracles, and come on, dance, monkey, dance, do your thing, Jesus. I want to just be, I want to be a part of the kingdom, but I don't want to surrender nothing. I want to follow Jesus. I'm just here. And Jesus says they have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, they don't hear. And he says, I'm going to speak in parables as a form of judgment, because all they're going to do is they're going to hear a story about a farmer throwing seed, some land on the path, some land on the rocks, some land on the thorns, some land on good soil, and they're going to say, why do I care about a farmer? What is that? I mean, I get the story. The story makes sense to me. I understand a story, but I, I don't understand why, what that has to do with me and my spiritual health. I don't know what that has to do with the kingdom of God or, or the future of, of this kingdom. What does this have to do? And so Jesus now, he goes into this, this other parable. And look, I'm so thankful for the disciples because when you read this story, you know, we, we look at this story and we have this idea like, oh, I get that. Like how many of us, we, I read that, you, you're like, I understand that already because you've already studied it. You know, you're like, okay, I get that. I understand because Jesus, like the parable of the sower, like last week, Jesus goes in and explains it. We already know it because we've read it. We've understood the explanation. But you've got to put yourself in the shoes of the, the believers and of the unbelievers, the crowd, that Jesus stands up here and he says, look, there was a farmer and he threw some seed. Once again, farmer and seed. And he said, the, the, he threw it out, he planted it, he, grew, he put the wheat in there, and then he went to bed because it was late. He worked all day. And then all of a sudden, this wicked man, this evil dude comes in. Now, apparently this, I read in, in some, uh, some commentary, this actually happened a lot, you know, where you have these, these guys, like turf wars, man. It was like, hey, this dude stealing my crop. He's selling to my dealers, and, and so let's mess up his crop. And so he, they'd go at night, and they'd plant tares, or uh, they, they actually, theologians believe it's something called the Darnell seed, but it was a tear, and they throw the tares into the wheat. Now, here's the thing about wheat and tares. Now, this is very important. When you talk about tares and wheat or Darnell seed and the wheat, the truth is, is while it's green and growing, you will not be able to tell the difference between the wheat and the tares. While it's growing, a farmer can't go out there and say, I see. I mean, even the most experienced farmer, because it's all, it looks exactly the same while it's growing and it's green. When you are able to tell the difference is when, during the harvest, when it starts to die and the wheat starts to get brown and everything starts to, the wheat starts to come out, the tares start to die off and you're able to see the difference between the wheat and the tear and is in the time of harvest. And so Jesus says, he says, look, they planted the Darnell seed, they planted the tares and the, and the, and the farmer's uh, servants are like, well, we know the Darnell seed and and this plant is poison. Do you want us to go and remove it? And so, no, the master's like, no, don't, don't touch it. He said, what you're going to do is you're going to go in there because you're just as experienced as I am. You're going to go in there and start pulling weeds and thinking that it's Darnell seed or, or, or tares, and you're going to pull my crop. That's my harvest. That's my livelihood. That's my money. Don't touch my wheat. That's my harvest. Don't go in there. The only, way, only thing we have to do now is let them grow together. Let them grow up together, 
Let him be a strong. And then he says, in the end, what's going to happen is then we're going to be able to tell during harvest, we're going to cut out the, t- the tares, bundle them up, throw them in the fire, take the, 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 the wheat, and we're going to take them to the threshing floor in the, in the barn. And we're going to pound them and get all the wheat out of them. That's what we do. That's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to wait. And so Jesus tells this story, and that's it. Now, you're a normal person in the crowd. That's all you get. I understand it, but what does that have to do with my, the kingdom of God? What does that have to do with the spiritual? Now, the disciples, once again, play, praise God for the disciples because the disciples are a lot different than I am because I'm the kind of guy that, that I, you know, I hear something and I, well, it's like this. I, this is why I love my wife. I love my wife because, you know, like if we're out with somebody or, you know, I've got some friends that are a lot smarter. I know this is hard to believe, a lot smarter than me. And I, like even like pastor's friends, like the guy over here at uh, Hazelwood Presbyterian, the associate pastor, he's like 10 years younger than me. The dude's like a theologian, man. And, and, and we'll sit down and talk. And, and I love my wife for this because he'll say things like, you know, uh, yeah, 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 I really was studying the apropheric theology this week and I really loved it. And I'm thinking, no clue. But I can't, but see, I, I'm a pastor. I can pastor David. I can't say I don't know. So I just smile, yeah. I love it. I've studied that uh, prophetic theology. And this is what I love about my wife. She'll be like, what is that? And so then he, he tells, he explains it. And then I just, you know, look at it. I'm like, yeah, then I tell you about prophetic theology. Yeah, of course. I thought I told you about that, you know? And, and then I get off scot-free. I'm not looking like an idiot, right? But the disciples, man, they're the kind of people, they, they, they come into the house because Jesus finishes his whole thing, shotgun parables. And they go in the house and the disciples are like, well, Jesus, let me, let me figure this out. Tell me about the parables uh, of the, you know, because he's going to talk about the wheat or the mustard seed. He's going to talk about the leaven. But he, they just ask him, they say, only tell me about the parables of the wheat and the tares. I want to know what's going on here. And so then Jesus gives the explanation. Now, listen, the explanation, this is where I have lost a lot of sleep and I have struggled all week long this week because the explanation of this, this parable is so basic and simple, and yet it is so profound and powerful that if we do not get this, man, I, I don't know. I don't know where the hope is if we do not get this and we do not walk out of this room different. So let's read Matthew 13. He says this. He says, he answers. He says, the one who sows the seed is the son of man. Now, who's the son of man? Jesus. This is a messianic term given to Jesus, found in Daniel chapter 9, that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come, right? The, the Son of Man is referring to the humanity of the, the Mashiach, the Messiah that is to come. And so Jesus is the Son of Man. Now it says Jesus is the one sowing. So he's the sower. Now what's the, what's the, wor- uh, the field? The world. the world. Yeah, the field is the world. Now what was the field last week? The heart, right? The soil, right? The field was our individual hearts. This week, the field is the world. Jesus plants the seed. He plants his crop, his crop, his wheat. Now, this is, this is not like last week where he's just throwing it randomly and it's falling on weeds. And stuff. No, he's like, I'm planting my seed where I want it to go, my wheat in my field. And then he says, okay, so there's the wheat. There's the, who are the wheat? Christians, true believers, his children, right? He says, then an enemy came and he said, he plants the, the, the seed into, they plant the tares. Now, what are the tares? Unbelievers. 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 Now, here's the thing. It's the, actually children of the enemy, children of Satan. Now, we, we call them unbelievers, but the Bible refers to them as children of Satan, right? They are the enemy's children, okay? Jesus says that you lie because you are of the father of lies. You are sons of the father of lies, right? Who's the father of lies? Satan. So we have the tares, which are children of Satan. Now he says that who the, the, the evil one comes and he sows the tares. Who's the one who sows the tares? Who's the evil one? Satan. Satan. Okay. So now we kind of see how it's broken up. Now, but then he says, and then harvest time, at harvest time, what is harvest time? Harvest time actually is at the end of the world at the sheep and goat judgment. Okay, harvest time is when you, when Jesus comes at the end of the, time, the, the days, he has his book, the Lamb's book of, right? And he starts reading it and he says, 
Mark Hogan. You're saved. You're in the book. And you're sitting there waiting all, you're waiting in the crowd, and you're waiting, waiting. Is my name going to be called? Is my name going to be called? And the Bible says that he, he's going to call all those who believe and all those who are not found in the Lamb's book of life, he's going to take and he's going to cast into Gehenna, cast into the eternal lake of fire. And he says there's going to be sheep and there's going to be goats. He uses different analogies. Some are going to be sheep. Some of y'all are sheep, right? And some of y'all are goats. You, you want to be a sheep, Okay. Because he says, I'm going to take the sheep because you fed me, because you clothed me, because you loved me, because you followed me, because you obeyed me. And he says, you go into your glory. You cast you out into the eternal lake of fire. And so at the end time, there's going to be a harvest where he's going to take the tares, he's going to bundle them up and throw them into the fire. He's going to take the wheat and he's going to welcome them home. And he says, oh, he says he's going to send the reapers out. Now, who's the reapers? Angels. So now you have the story. It's, it's, it's so easy. Jesus is making this clear. Now, real quick, I want to say this. This is not really a part of, it is kind of a part, but I want to make sure that you understand this before we jump in and we start diving into this. Notice what Satan doesn't do. Satan plants tares, but Satan does not go in and uproot the crop. You hear what I'm saying? I mean, some of us in this room think that Satan is going to be able to come and snatch you out of the hands of God. Some of us in this room believe that, some, that, 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 that Satan is going to be able to tempt you and snatch you and take you out of the hands of God when you are the wheat, you are the strong, you are the crop, you are his harvest. And some of y'all think that Satan is going to be able to come and say, let me just pull on you enough, get you tempt you enough, get you to sin enough so that I could yank you out of the hands of God. That's not happening. It's not biblical. And we, we, and we could preach that all day. I will preach that all day. But what Satan does is he plants the counterfeit. See, everything that God has ever done, every glorious thing that God has ever done, every holy thing that God has ever done, Satan has been right behind him counterfeiting it. Satan doesn't create. He's never created anything. He's always duplicate. He's always, he's always counterfeit. Satan has counterfeit Christians. Second, Second Corinthians verse 11, chapter 11. Satan has a counterfeit gospel. And this is, this is huge. And this is what we're going to be spending a lot of time today because Satan, God has his saving gospel through Jesus Christ, an amazing gospel. Satan has a counterfeit gospel. Galatians chapter 1. Satan has a counterfeit righteousness. Romans chapter 10. Where people are trying to establish their own righteousness. Satan has a counterfeit church, Revelation 2. Did you know that Satan has a counterfeit Messiah? The, the Jews call him the Mashiach, the, the, the Muslims call him the Mahdi, the Christians call him the Antichrist. But Satan has a counterfeit Trinity. He has the beast, and he has the prophet, and he has the Antichrist. Satan counterfeits. He's an imposter. He's an imitator. Everything God does, he comes after with an imitation. So God works and Satan comes. Now, the Bible says that, there, that, that, that the Satan is going to come and he's going to plant false believers. He, he, he's going to plant false believers. And Jesus says that, that there's going to be Christians or false Christians that come and they're going to be dressed like what? Wolves in sheep clothing, right? He says, there are going to be people amongst us in this room. Some of y'all might be wolves. Look around. And they're dressed like sheep, and they, they smell like sheep, and they sound like sheep, and, and they even act like sheep. Like, bah, bah, and like, don't, don't worry about the tail. Bah, I'm just a sheep. You know, and they're in here, pretend, they're pretending, they're acting. And, and look, it doesn't mean they even know that they're wolves. They may even believe that they are actually sheep. Jesus says the false prophets, the false teachers, the sheep, the wolves in sheep clothing, they're going to come. You don't even have to try to find them. They're going to come to you. You know that? When you get a knock on the door, the Mormon says, hey, I want to teach you about the Church of Latter-day Saints. He doesn't say, hey, I'll teach you about Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. I want to teach you guys how to go to hell. I'll teach a false prophet. No, he says, let me teach you about Jesus. I'll teach you about how you can be saved under Jesus. And you say, well, I'm a Christian. Okay, we're all Christians then. 
We love Jesus, Jehovah's Witness. Let me teach you about Jesus and how Jesus was Michael the Archangel. Let me teach you about how he, he was not truly God. Let me, but he's Jesus, right? He saves you. Let me teach you about the oneness Pentecostal, that there is no Trinity, that it's modalism. Let me teach you about uh, Seventh-day Adventist, that, that if you don't worship on Saturday, then you are actually taking the mark of the beast and you're going to hell. Let me teach you these things, right? They're going to come. But they, see, we see that, and that's, that's usually where our mind goes when we think of false teaching, right? False Christians is the, the occults. Or the atheists, those out there who curse God. But look at you take a Mormon and a Christian, a Bible-believing Christian, you put them together. I don't need to worry about them growing up next to each other. Me not, I, I, I could go pluck out the Mormon in a second because the theology is so different. You put a Jehovah's Witness next to a Christian, they're not growing up identical next to each other. I could pluck it out. You put a Seventh-day Adventist, you put an atheist, you put a, you know, a spiritual New Agey person over here, I will be able to discern that is not tares, that's poison ivy next to my wheat. What's going to happen, though, is the kingdom of God is going to grow, and there's going to be true believers saved under the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then while in the midst of all of this, there are going to be people next to you they come every Sunday, every Sunday that grow up looking just like you, smelling just like you, even acting just like you, but they have never been. Have you ever gone to a church or asked people, hey, are you, do you, are you madly in love? Do you, are you a born-again Christian? Like, do you really love Jesus? I mean, when you worship, do you really truly love Jesus? Are you worshiping with all your heart? Are you just completely sold out for Jesus? Are you one of those Christians that every day you're reading Scripture and you just can't get enough of Him and you're out there proclaiming the God? Like, you can't tell, you can't tell people enough about Jesus because He is all you care about. He's the treasure. You literally found a treasure in the field and your life is nothing without Jesus. Are you one of those Christians? And, and people are like, well, no, I'm more of like, I'm not a religious kind of person. I, I'm more spiritual, but I do go to church and I, I'm more refined and kind of like, I, I kind of go and I'm more intellectual kind of Christian. I'm more reserved. I, I don't, I'm not one of those born again Christians that my life has been changed and radically changed by, the, by Jesus Christ and the blood of Christ. I'm not one of those. Listen to me. The Bible says that the only kind of Christian, the only kind of Christian is a born again Christian. And when I say born-again Christian, I'm talking about the person who literally has had a life change. You see, we throw these words again, and like, ah, we would all probably say, I'm a born-again Christian. Why? Because that's, that's the title we give you. I born again. I took a bath. I went to the baptism. I said a prayer. I take communion. I come to church. I do all the things. I'm born again. But the Bible says, no, there's something that changes in you. Your nature changes. You actually come to the end of yourself and you are a new creation, meaning you do not love the world. Now you love Jesus. You are no longer a slave to the sin, but you're a slave to the righteousness. You will no longer desire the wills of this world and the wills of the father of this world, but in you is the law of God, Jeremiah 31, written on your heart, and you desire him. You are a different person. You are born literally again. It's not about coming to church. It's not about obeying laws. I see, some of us think, well, well it would be pretty, it's going to be pretty easy to discern the born again versus the tear. Now, listen, Jesus had 12 disciples, right? Including who? Judas. Now, I do not believe Judas believed he was going to be the one to betray Jesus the entire ministry. Do you? You think Jesus is like, hey, Judas, follow me. He's like, okay, but I got something for you. And like, he knew, he knew I'm not, I'm going to be a tear. Okay, these are all, I'm going to be the unbeliever. And listen, the disciples, they had no clue. When Jesus says, one of y'all is going to betray me, they didn't all go, it's Judas, isn't it? I knew that little shifty eye, beady eye, you know, he's always dressed in black in the back, you know, chomping off bat heads. I knew it was Judas. Okay? None of them said that. And the fact is, Judas was in charge of the money. Okay? Now, if I believe this dude was an unbeliever, he was going to betray Jesus, he was the tear, he was not a follower of Jesus, I ain't giving him the money. 
No, they let Judas in charge of the money to handle, to take care of the poor, to take care of the people, to take care of the ministry. Nobody suspected, nobody expected Judas to be the guy that was going to betray Jesus. Even when, now this is the weird part, even when Jesus says, you dip your hand in the cup, like he said, it was that whole thing, and Judas dips the hand in the cup, and then Judas goes off. Jesus said, hey, go do what you must do. The, the disciples still didn't know. I'm like... Jesus just said, one of y'all is going to betray me, and then somebody leaves the room. <laughs> it's that guy, okay? That guy is it. We got to be careful, guys. I think, oh, I, I, I'm not a typical, because I know. I go to church. I do this. I do this. I do this. See, Jesus says there are going to be many false, there are going to be false people, false prophets, false teachers. The, Satan comes in the middle of the night, and he plants amongst the true believers. He plants unbelievers that believed a false gospel. Now we're going to talk about this false gospel, but let's look at what Jesus is saying. Let's look at the difference between the tares and the wheat. The tares and the wheat. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice Lawlessness. God give me the words. This is why I can't get past this parable. I've, I've lost a lot of sleep this week, and I've lost a lot of just restless, just been really restless all week, and just in the word and. Um, really cleaning house in my own life, getting rid of stuff that has been distracting. But the Bible says, Jesus says right here, he says, in the end, I'm going to come and I'm going to get rid of everything that offends me. What offends God? Sin. What offends God? Lust. Idolatry, greed, pride, sexual immorality, pharmacia, sorcery, murder, unjust anger, injustice, coveting thy neighbor's stuff. God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to clean house and get rid of everything that offends me. I'm getting rid of the stuff in this world that I've hated. God says he hates it. He hates it. But, and he's coming and he's going to take it all out. I'm going to remove it all. I don't want it. It's disgusting. It's disgusting in my eyes. My kingdom, my kingdom, my servants, my people, this will not be a part of my kingdom. But then, he says, and those who practice lawlessness, those who practice lawlessness. Now, when I was, when I first became a believer, I, I grew up in the church, right? I grew up in the church. I've been a Christian since, I remember, I've been in church. I, I remember wrestling and fighting my Sunday school teacher at the age of three. I've been in church. Like, I, I I, remember, I don't remember why, but I just remember that's the only thing I remember about growing up as a kid. Like, my Sunday school had me by my back, like, holding me, and I'm, like, trying to kick him and punch him. Like, I grew up in the church, enough to the, this dude that I don't even know it felt comfortable enough to grab me like that. But I wasn't saved until 25-ish, 24, 25. What happened was the reason why I know I wasn't saved was because I never had this experience until this moment. I was reading this Sermon on the Mount, and I read all that Jesus was saying. Every word that Jesus said, it was so tangible. It was, hey, you know, if you cause your brother to sin, it's better to go into heaven all maimed and hand cut off and feet cut off than to go into hell with all your, your, your fingers and all your hands. But meanwhile, you got to sit there and look at a screen and touch yourself. So chop it off. 
And I read these words, and I read the powerful words, if you hate your brother, if you don't forgive your brother, I'm not going to forgive you. And we read these words, and in the very end, the very end, he says, there's going to be many. And this is where I remember, I'm sitting on the couch, and I'm just, my weight of my sin is just crushing upon me. I feel the weight of my brokenness and the disgustingness of my sin. And I'm sitting there, and my brothers are playing video games. I don't know what they're doing. I'm just reading the Word of God, because somebody challenged me to read this, this section. And, and then he gets to Luke, or Matthew chapter 7, and he says, Lord, Lord, many will say, Lord, Lord, I did prophecies in your name. I did miracles in your name. I did signs and wonders in your name. I did it all in your name. I came to church in your name. I sung in your name. I believed in your name. I came, I said the name of Jesus loud and all can hear. And Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you practicers of lawlessness. And I read that. My life was changed. I was, I was the first time in my life that I was broken and grieved over my sin and my, dis, my disgusting nature and knew that I needed a savior. And then I go to my pastor and he said, that's not really what Jesus meant. He said, Dave, you're becoming too legalistic about it. You're becoming too harsh about it. And he calmed me down, and, and you calm me down. And do I? And, and, and now I have the tendency to read something when Jesus says something. I have a tendency to say, "But, but you know what? He's not talking about, you know, perfection. Even though we know he's not talking about perfection, but he's talking about a heart change. And yet I have to dumb it down. Like Jesus really didn't mean. And then so I understand that. And then you get to Matthew chapter thirteen. Four chapters later, and Jesus is here again and saying, I'm weeding out the tares and the wheat, those who look exactly the same. What's going to differentiate them? Lawlessness. Those who are practicing things that offend me, those who are walking in lawlessness versus those who are my believers and my followers and my children under my grace, under my love, but are my children and followers of me. And then you get to John, and John says, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. And I have to come to, this week, I had to come to a realization. I had to come to, I have to ask myself, does Jesus mean this? Or is he just kidding? When he's talking over and over again about the reason, that you, if you are mine, I've called you by name, Read, the, read 1 John. You could read it. You, I've called you by name, and I, you have been changed. Your nature has been changed. Your life has been changed. You're a slave. I have broken you. I've broken your heart for me. You love me. You love my will. You love my commands. You love my heart. You love the kingdom, and now you want to live. See, I look at the church today, and I looked at my own life today, and I got so broken over my own life of how much I love this world, how much I wanted this world. How much I desired this world. How much the money and, and, and the greed and, and idolatry. On Wednesday this week, God flooded me with the weight of his heart against idolatry. You see, we think of idolatry. Oh, we're all idols, right? We're all idol, idol makers. We all worship something. Other. It's, it's, I, everybody has idolatry in their heart. And God just flooded me with how wicked. I told my wife this on, on Thursday, I said, I, I feel like for the past years, I have been having an affair against Jesus. I feel disgusting because of the idols in my life. And how much we slowly love the world. You see, here's the thing. The Bible teaches that the gospel will change you, that if you confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior, I've said this before, but here is the false gospel, the counterfeit gospel that has penetrated the church, that is flooding the church. And some of us will walk out of this room and still believe this false gospel because it's an easier gospel and it agrees with you. And you're just going to cast your chips as a lie. But the false gospel that was proclaimed, that has been proclaimed, that has been proclaimed just in the past 30, 40 years, that Jesus, Satan comes in and he says, you can have Jesus as Savior and have Satan as Lord. You can walk in your sins, live for yourself, 
live how what you want and still be saved because Jesus is your Savior and Satan, this world, your flesh, your desires is your Lord. And so now we have Christians that say, I don't agree with Jesus on that, so I don't do it. Now we have Christians who we kind of somewhat maybe follow Jesus. We got rid of some things like alcohol. Maybe we got rid of cussing. We kind of became a little legalistic. We got rid of certain sins. And look, I'm not saying that we all need to step back and say, let's just get, what I'm saying is that we need a life change, a love change. Because Jesus says your nature will change. I'm not going to love the world anymore. You see, this gospel that Satan proclaims does not change you. It just puts you in a religion and makes you submitting and makes you a a group think. The gospel of Jesus Christ, when you feel the weight of your sin and you metanoia, change your mind because I don't want this world anymore. I don't want lawlessness anymore. I don't want any of this stuff anymore. I don't want this junk anymore. I'm done with it. I want Jesus, period. Do you know how I know that we struggle with this? Because the hardest sermons that I've ever had to preach in this, in this room is when I talk about like pop culture of, hey, I don't think we should watch Harry Potter. And I have people say, no, 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 you're being too legalistic. But it's witchcraft. But, but, but he's a kid. So it's not bad, it's a kid. Oh. When I talk about what we should watch and how I don't understand how we can sit there and watch some of the shows that promote adultery and murder. When I preach on living with your girlfriend and boyfriend and, and we lose people because of that. When I preach on and talk about the wickedness of Halloween. Oh, Dave, don't touch Halloween. People literally worship Satan, say, I don't get why Christians worship or celebrate this this holiday. But when I talk about Santa, I've had so many people push back on that. And how we could give Jesus a full day, but yet have some fat dude that comes down my chimney to give me stuff. Which one am I going to like as a kid? I'm just saying. We love the world. We do. We're attached to this world, and Jesus is calling us as his church. Now, I'm not saying that if you have a heart, you have things in your heart that are for this world, I'm not saying, oh, well, you're a terror, but I'm saying we need to, right this day, divorce from this world. When I talk about Instagram, look, that's what got me. I'm just going... When I talk about, this is what got me on this. I was like sitting there scrolling through Instagram, scrolling through Facebook. And first of all, I had an option. I could read the Bible or watch a video on Facebook for 30 minutes. And I chose the video. And that convicted me. Okay, that was the first saw. Then I get on Instagram and you start scrolling, just your friends. You start scrolling. And what you notice is that on Instagram, everybody's posting pictures of themselves. Everybody's posing to, to look the best version of themselves. The whole goal, listen, the whole goal of Instagram is I want you to approve of me and to like me and to want to be like me and for me to help change your life so I could influence your life. I want to be an influencer. So please look at me in the best picture and best. I want to set my Self up as an idol for you. I want to become your idol. And we have girls who are broken. Listen, they're broken in their hearts. And the girls that some of my friends that you know I work out with are at the gym, and these girls that are broken, they are desperate, and they're on their posing provocative pictures. Just so please, please like me. Please love me. Please accept me. Please push like. I just want, I want you to want me. I want to feel something. And that's what we've established as a country, as a world, and Christians are okay with it to jump right into it. We're in love with the world. And God laid it all this Wednesday, just completely broke me down. I couldn't take it anymore. Because then he says this. And I will cast them into the furnace of fire. And there will be wailing 
gnashing of teeth. Do you know why there's wailing? Because of consciousness. Remember the story of Jesus is teaching with Lazarus and the rich man? And, and they both die. Lazarus is a poor beggar, and the rich man, he passes by every day. Lazarus and Lazarus is sitting there with open sores and just begging for some food. And every day he passes by, doesn't do anything, and they die. And the rich man goes to the place of torments, and then Lazarus goes to the place of paradise within Abraham's bosom, and there's this gulf fixed between them where they cannot cross. And Lazarus, and the rich man is looking up to the man, to Lazarus, and saying, please, please just give me some water. And he's crying and he's screaming, give me some water, please. I need some water, please. I can't breathe. I can't talk. I can't even. Give me some water. And, and Lazarus is like, I, I can't. And Abraham's like, even if we wanted to, there's a goal fix. We can't do it. And then remember what he says. He says, well, then just go to my brother's. I've got brothers. I've got people on this earth that I remember, that I love, and they are walking in the same path as I am. They're going to be spending all of eternity in hell with me. I Please just go proclaim to them. Tell them the truth. Please they just change their direction, change their path. And Abraham says, if they don't believe the word, if they don't believe this, the truth of, of the, the ancestors of the prophets, they are not going to believe. Even if a man rises from the dead, they will not believe. The reason why there's wailing is because there's consciousness. You will remember this world. You will remember the opportunities of the gospel. You will remember when you rejected the gospel. You remember when you fell in love with the world over the gospel. You will remember everything. And there will be gnashing of teeth because Jesus in the Bible clearly teaches that you will be in the Gehenna, a place of fire, of pain and suffering for all of eternity. We get one shot at this. There's no do-overs. There's no, I could have, I should have. I got years. I got time to change. And we can be lovers of Jesus and surrender to him and be broken by him. And to because man, what kind of God, when you understand that Jesus died for you in all your sin, and you feel the weight of your sin and the brokenness of your sin, and you understand that Jesus died for you and loves you, man, why would you not want to follow him? Why would you not want to surrender him? Do you think he has what's bad for you? Do you think he's got something evil planned for you? Do you think he's got something wicked planned? Do you think he's, or does he have something better than this world offers? One shot. And we can be lovers and friends with this world. Who, and if you're a friend with this world, the Bible's clear, you are an enemy of God. Was Jesus just kidding? Jesus tells the church in Laodicea, the church that, that, that didn't really need Jesus, that set up their whole life to be kind of self-sufficient. They loved Jesus. They were the church. They were a Christian church. He tells the Laodiceans, he says, look, I wish you were hot or cold. You're lukewarm. You don't love me. You care about this world. You want this world. You like me. You pray to me. You worship me. But I am going to spit you out of my mouth. Was Jesus just kidding? there's an aspect that, look, this is not, I'm not, and hear me, and I, 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 I'm even slow to say this, but I just want to make sure it's clear, because there are people that come from different backgrounds in this room. If it was just, you know, everybody that I knew their background, I wouldn't say this, but this is not works righteousness. This is not, okay, now we all need to be good, to be good Christians. This is, we need Jesus. We need to feel the weight and pray that God give me the weight of my, if you've never you know, I've talked to, to different people, some of these older men in this room when we have our Bible studies, and they'll, 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 they'll tell you the moments when Jesus just, the, you know, the weight of your sin and Jesus just breaks your heart for him and changes you. 
Not I grew up in church, I just come and, I, you know, my, my life got a little better when I became a Christian and, and I'm not, I don't do as, you know, don't do the stuff anymore like I used to. I just, I'm just a little better guy. I still love some things in the world. I don't do the big sins, but I do, I have a lot of, lot of love for this world still and I just, that's just who I am. And that's not, that's not a testimony that I read. I read a nature change. I read a love I read a passion, I read a desire, I read and I experience a weight of my sin and a love for Jesus. And it's so easy because your flesh still wants this world. You know, one of the biggest, one of the biggest um, verses we love to go to when we talk about sin in our lives is when Paul, and I think it's, Ro- it's Romans 7, when Paul says, I do the things that I don't want to do, right? He, he's wrestling. You see this wrestle with Paul. Well, Christians love to go to that and we'll say, well, see, Paul, this is Paul, the apostle Paul, he struggled with sin too. Look at Paul. He's a sinner. I could be a sinner. We're all sinners. Paul's a sinner. I'm a sinner. We get to be sinners. I get my quota because Paul's a sinner. We love that verse to justify our sin, but listen, what do you see in that verse? You see a wrestle. You see a man who loves Jesus and only wants the kingdom and only wants to live for Jesus and wants the righteousness of God, who's a slave in his spirit to the righteousness of God. You see a man that does not want to ever disappoint his Savior, a man that does never wants to walk away from his Savior, a man that hates this world and hates everything this world offers him that doesn't want it, but his flesh still desires it. You see a man who in his moment of weakness, his flesh gave over and took over and took, took that sin, and then his spirit kicks in and says, I'm disgusted. I'm wrestling. My flesh is wrestling with my spirit. That wrestle is what I'm talking about. You're living in a world that is flesh and carnal, but you are a spiritual being. But that's not the wrestle a lot of us have. The wrestle that we, the things we have is, I sinned, I know I wasn't supposed to, I loved it, I like it, I want it, but I know it's not what Jesus wants me to do, so I'm going to pray a prayer and hopefully Jesus forgives me, so tonight I could do it again. Tomorrow I could do it again, and I know I'm going to do it again. I know I'm going to go to her house tomorrow. I know I'm going to sit at the computer tonight. I know I'm going to be just as greedy tomorrow as I I don't want to give up my greed because I don't want to give up my money. I know I'm going to be just the same. I know I'm going to be just the same. That's what we see in a lot of this false gospel. We get one shot, and I'm done. I'm done. And I pray that y'all hold me accountable. That if y'all see the world in me, do not hesitate to tell me, David, get this out of your life. Because I want to be like Jesus. I'm sick of this world. Jesus is coming back soon. I want to be the wheat. I want to be the faithful servant. When he comes on the clouds and he calls for his saints, I want to be the one rejoicing on the way up. One shot. One shot. He says this at the very end. This is how we're going to close. He says, Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear.